and welcome to the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast, the Future of Radiotherapy series. This series is brought to you by the CRUK Radnet Cambridge programme in partnership with our lovely patient and public involvement and engagement group. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm joined by Andy and Helen to talk about adaptive radiotherapy, what it is and how this can change the way we deliver radiotherapy. So for this series, our patient and public involvement representatives, so for this week we have Helen, are here to ask the questions that you would want to know and to discuss the perspective of our patients and the public when considering new research. So if I'd like to just quickly introduce Andy, who is our Head of Radiotherapy Physics at Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge, having previously been the Chief Physicist at the Harley Street Clinic in London. He's HCPC registered clinical scientist, medical physics expert and higher specialist scientist. He has experience across many areas of radiotherapy physics, including quality control, dosimetry, prostate brachytherapy, stereotactic radiotherapy planning and equipment replacement projects. His current interests at Addenbrooke's are equipment replacement projects, the introduction of new technologies and the accreditation and legislative compliance. He is also a member of the Institute of Physics and Engineering in Medicine's Professional Standards and CPD Audit Committees. Hi, thanks for having me. And we have Helen, who is a member of our Patient and Public Involvement Group for Radnet Cambridge and has been involved in the Timeline Project as well as being part of some other PPI groups in Cambridge. Hello, thank you for inviting me today. start with Andy could we find out what we mean by adaptive radiotherapy and, and what adaptive radiotherapy is? Sure so adaptive radiotherapy can have a few different meanings. So adaptive radiotherapy can have some different meanings depending on the context but I'll start with a bit of background. Additionally the radiotherapy planning process begins with the patient having radiotherapy CT scan beforehand and this is then used by the clinical oncologist to identify the areas that they want to treat, but also to identify the areas where normal organs are and normal tissues that they don't want to treat. And then once we've got that CT scan, we then we then create a tailor-made individualized plan for each patient. So that planning CT scan at the beginning is a snapshot in time taken before any patient would start treatment. So during the course of their treatment, a patient might lose weight, for example. When this happens, we would assess whether it's better to then re-optimize the original plan that we created for that patient, taking into account that they perhaps lost weight. And we would call this offline adaptive radiotherapy because we perform this process in the background while the patient's undergoing their treatment still. But um, over the past 10 years, we've increasingly been able to take images of patients before they have treatment. So we take um, different scans to check that the patient's in the right position. So this has been great because this has already contributed to sort of more accurate radiotherapy over the past 10 years. But what this has also enabled us to do is to look at what's going on inside the patient during the course of their treatment. So what we can then do is we can use this scan that's taken just before a patient undergoes treatment to readapt their plan. So if, for example, the size of their 
where we're chasing has changed or if it's moved slightly, we could then re-optimize re that plan and then deliver a new plan that's custom made on that day for that particular patient. So those are the sort of the two, two main areas of adaptive radiotherapy, so offline and online adaptive. And when you say re-optimize your plan, you mean sort of almost like re-outline different areas and potentially see see if the where the dose plan to go is actually going where where we intend it to be is that is that right yeah exactly so we, we know from experience that that organs can move slightly so maybe example in pelvic radiotherapy the the rectum might have moved closer to the where we want to treat or it might move further away and then what we can do is we can then either if say for example the rectums move closer to where we want to treat we could reduce the amount of radiation that it gets on that day but also at the same time maintaining the amount of radiation that we want to give to the area to be treated so it's all about incremental gains in terms of reducing the amount of radiation we give to organs which we don't want to treat but at the same time making sure that we give the right amount of radiation to the areas that we do want to treat. Amazing thank you Andy and uh, I'd like to introduce Helen uh, you're a part of our patient involvement group could you tell us a little bit why you wanted to join join us at Radnet at all? Yes so I'm a former breast cancer patient and um, when I was undergoing treatment I really began to appreciate the debt that I owed to everybody who'd gone before me, who'd been involved in research, you know, the patients and all the academics and clinicians. And so I, I really felt that I wanted to join in something where I could make a little bit of a contribution of my own. And when I first heard about RADNET, I thought, well, oh, that's not for me because I didn't actually have radiotherapy. But I began to understand that it's actually quite a good idea to have some people who know nothing about radiotherapy involved in this because they have the types of questions that a patient coming brand new to radiotherapy treatment would have. So I did see that there was a, a value for me getting involved as well. Amazing. And that's exactly, you know, why why it's it's patient and public as well we want everybody who would access this sort of information to benefit from it as well and as as a patient and member of the public if you were to hear about adaptive radiotherapy for a potential trial what would you want to know about that so i think first of all i'd want a clear understanding of the current state of research, what had already been discovered and what various trials had been had been run so far, so that you get a, a little bit of an idea of you know, what lessons were being learnt from this. But I think I'd have quite a lot of questions, in fact. Will I need extra scans, for example? You know, it does sound as if this is a really, really personalized approach and fine-tuning it. So I'd, that sounds great, but would it mean that I, I need to go and have extra scans, for example? I think I'd also want to say, does it work for all types of cancers? Are there particular cancers that might benefit more from this type of approach? I suppose because you're going to be fine-tuning the amount of radiation that an individual uh, receives, it could actually be the case that you may conclude that the patient needs more radiation or maybe a longer course I don't know but I think if that were to be the case then part of the research should also look at how you communicate that in advance to the patient if you can imagine someone who's maybe had two surgeries course of chemo a radio a radio program 
then to be told, actually, we might need to do a little bit more, that can be quite a shock at a time when people are still you know, quite fragile. So the communication of all of that needs to be thought about as well. Thank you, Helen. And Andy, could you, could you answer any of these questions? So perhaps the one about maybe having extra scans at all? Sure. So in terms of extra scans, before treatment starts, as I say, you would normally have a CT scan, but you might also have some what we would call secondary imaging. So we might use an MRI scan that you've had or a PET CT scan that you've had previously to help plan your treatment. So those would probably already be a feature for, for a lot of patients anyway. But in terms of how many scans the patient might undergo during adaptive radiotherapy, as I mentioned earlier, we, we're in a very imaging we already utilise a lot of imaging pre-treatment, so we would utilise those scans prior to your treatment starting anyway. So the amount of imaging, extra imaging should be minimal, if at all. But we're also moving into an era where we're using a lot of hypofractionation, which is that we treat with shorter courses of radiotherapy. So rather than having 25 or 15 treatments, you might have just five treatment sessions now. So adaptive radiotherapy could end up meaning that we can use hyperfractionation more, which means that you'll have fewer treatment sessions. So by default, you'll also have fewer scans as part of your overall treatment programme. Thanks, Andy. Helen, what was your other question again? Sorry. Does it work for all types of cancer? That's a great question as well. So there are certain cancers that it would likely to have more of a benefit for. That's because not all parts of the body have this experience the same, say, motion. So for example, Quite often for, radi- for radiotherapy, the breast now will treat in breath holds, so the patient's breast is relatively static during treatment. But if you are treating, say, just below the diaphragm, so in just above the tummy area, that's an area where you can have a lot of motion from, say, breathing or from your organs moving around as part of your natural sort of bodily processes. So those areas are, are likely to be able to benefit more from adaptive radiotherapy than, say, breast cancer. Now, that's not to say that long term it, it wouldn't be used for breast cancer, but a lot of the research at the moment is is focusing on the areas where we already struggle to sort of uh, account for motion or for the position of organs during treatment. Thank you. Did, Helen, did you have any other questions you'd, lo- you'd like to ask Andy at all? Yes, I think the key question for patients is always going to be Will it actually reduce mortality? You know, we often measure trials on the basis of how well they shrink the tumour or reduce side effects. Um, you know, can, they, can it uh, deliver a, a total lower dose? But really, I think most patients are wanting to ask um, whether it will give them a greater chance of survival. So as adaptive radiotherapy is a relatively new area, the the data is relatively sort of immature. However, the early indications are that it will certainly reduce morbidity. But by reducing morbidity, that means that we're more more likely to be able to optimise how much radiation we give to try and treat the cancer in the first place. So at some point, if, if there isn't already a direct benefit from adaptive radiotherapy using the existing doses that we use, adaptive radiotherapy will likely allow us to potentially use higher doses of radiation, which we would then use as a a, a way of treating cancers better. And Helen, did you have, I think you had a question about the sort of workload of, 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 you know, the, the workforce sort of question. Is that, is that right? Yes. It does seem that the process is going to involve a lot more specialists on, on a more regular basis. And 
again, that sounds very, very encouraging, but, you know, we are, are aware that hospitals all over the world are under an immense amount of stress. And can we actually deliver all the, all the resources in terms of workforce that we, we might need for this? And a secondary question would be, will all existing radiotherapy departments be able to deliver adaptive radiotherapy? Or would it mean that I might have to travel further afield to a specialist hub? So again, two, two great questions. So to answer the first question, which was about increased workload for staff. So there would be two ways that radiotherapy centres would probably look to try and overcome some of those challenges of perhaps adaptive radiotherapy taking, taking, taking longer to perform. And the first is something which we, we already do, which is to try and utilise technology more. That's not to say to remove healthcare professionals from any clinical decision making or anything like that, but to try and use technology to form what maybe would have been a manual task before, which might have taken five minutes, let's say. So if you could use a technological solution to do that almost instantly, but then have it verified by a healthcare professional, that would be one way of speeding up the process or making sure that the overall length of the process isn't longer. The other way that we would look to try and address any increased workload is by looking at staffing models. So perhaps looking to expand the roles of our already highly skilled workforce say advanced practice and that would mean that some of the roles that were, were traditionally taken on maybe by a clinical oncologist could be performed equally well by say a radiographer or a medical physicist and what that does is let lets hospitals optimize how they use their staff so that maybe the the clinical oncologists who initially we would require as part of an adaptive work radiotherapy workflow would then eventually be able to take a step back from that and pass the responsibility on to some different groups. So those those are that's two ways that we would potentially try and get around any increased workload from adaptive radiotherapy. And then your second question was about whether you might need to travel further afield and whether all departments would be able to offer adaptive radiotherapy. So when thinking about online adaptive radiotherapy which is this sort of next iteration of um, adaptive radiotherapy it's still in its infancy in the UK so not a lot of centres forming it but as as more centres purchase equipment as part of their replacement programmes to be able to to offer adaptive radiotherapy I think you'll start to see more centres that can offer it and also we might end up in a situation where you might get regional hubs that do it. So maybe not every centre because it's quite specialist and you'd want to potentially have a group of individuals in one centre that have got lots of experience in it. But with other technologies that we've had introduced in the past 10, 15 years in radiotherapy, they've started off in a handful of centres. And then as experience has increased around the country, more and more centres have them. So that's, that's something which I think we'll see evolve over the next five to 10 years. It's interesting because as a, another sort of staff model that I've seen with some ad- really quite high tech adaptive radiotherapy. So Helen, there is a machine that has almost an MRI scanner and is also a treat- radiotherapy treatment machine combined. And their sort of staff model is to have on. So traditionally in a radiotherapy centre, a traditional treatment machine will have radiographers staffed all day on the machine whereas on the combined machine they tend to have maybe when they first started as well radiographers physicists and the clinician all sort of as a team at the time and when they did the first sort of scan to say okay this is where they are today they would then like Andy said do an online sort of 
plan on the day with with that sort of multidisciplinary team there and that's how they've started their staff modeling for those really really specialist machines and then what they're hoping to do is to then as Andy said upskill the radiographers to to almost take a bit more of a lead so that when in the future you you don't necessarily always need that multidisciplinary team but you've trained the radiographers in that new skill to then take that forward so I think that's something quite interesting going forward with more of this technology and adaptive radiotherapy as a whole is that it might start off with this multidisciplinary team all working together training together and then as priorities change and it becomes more standard practice it's then given to the to the sort of radiographers and those that will you know staff traditionally staff that machine if that makes sense we've kind of covered this already andy but my understanding as we've mentioned before is that we already have some adaptive radiotherapy already in practice how could adaptive radiotherapy treatment plans change the sort of day-to-day running of a department or the standard of practice in radiotherapy as i said earlier we already use sort of this offline adaptive process for say when patients lose weight we also have another type of adaptive radiotherapy called prospective adaptive which is for example with bladder cancers where we we might have plan of the day so before a patient would start treatment we would generate three plans which would correspond with different different sizes of their bladder on a day-to-day basis because the bladder is obviously an organ which grows as it fills with urine what i would see happening going forwards is though those things wouldn't wouldn't necessarily go away so for maybe head and neck cancers we would still utilize this offline adaptive approach where if a patient loses weight we would we would assess it and then adapt the plan if we we thought it was beneficial but then i think the areas where we're more likely to see online adaptive radiotherapy being used is in areas where the on we know that the internal anatomy on a patient would change on a day-to-day basis so in the upper or lower abdomen for example so what we'll do then is we'll be tailoring patients radiotherapy plan to their tumor position shape on each day and sort of go back to one of the things which I think was mentioned earlier we would we wouldn't be looking to add or subtract the number of treatments probably from a patient's schedule what we would be doing is that we'd be making sure that we were delivering the right amount of radiation which was planned to be given over their 5 10 15 treatments that when they when they're with us so I think that's probably where where we're going and I think in the UK well, uh, as with the rest of the world we've gone through iterations of treatment complexity like this before so back when I was starting it in radiotherapy we went through the intensity modulated radiotherapy paradigm so that was where we were suddenly we could really adapt the shape of the radiation that we're delivering to patients and then shortly after that we had an image guided radiotherapy era where we could use imaging every day to check the position of patients accurately and make sure they're in the right place before before they were treated so i just see this as, a, as another iteration in in how we we make our radiotherapy treatments better for patients it does sound really reassuring for a patient actually i think many patients are always so worried about the collateral damage that, that might occur to any of the tissues surrounding the tumor so to to know that your team has really identified the exact location on a day-by-day basis of, of the tumor and other organs 
I'm sure will give people a lot of confidence and help them feel a whole lot better about the treatment. I agree, Helen. Andy, could you see any of the sort of challenges that might come in our way when implementing adaptive radiotherapy and how could that sort of impact this as well? Uh, so we've we've touched on a few of the potential challenges with implementing adaptive radiotherapy. So one of them, as we've discussed, is that initially treatment lots, the time taken might be increased initially, although uh, the, there is data out there which is showing that as centres get more experience with adaptive radiotherapy, the, the length of the slot is actually coming down. So eventually we should be able to perform adaptive radiotherapy in a what we would call a standard length treatment slot. And then another one is obviously experience and staff training. So the radiotherapy community is, is quite a small one in the UK, and actually we are very experienced at sharing practice with each other. So as centres come online with adaptive radiotherapy, there will be that knowledge sharing that goes on within the community as well. Brilliant, thank you. Helen, given what Andy has said, can you see how this sort of treatment technique could, could change radiotherapy in the future? Yes, I think... Um... We talk a lot about personalised medicine these days, and this just, uh, you know, is another great example of how you as a patient are really being treated as an individual and everything is being done to address your particular condition and your state of health on that day of treatment. Um, and so it's a, it's a far cry from, you know, years before when, you just felt that uh, the treatment team were just just following a, almost a recipe. They they had the book in front of them and they, they were told this is what they had to do for a patient with this condition. And now that you're seeing so much attention being paid to each individual patient, um, I think that's just a marvellous development. It really is. I agree. And, and we're working so hard even within radiotherapy and within RadNet Cambridge just to really hone in on that personalised care and, and so from so many different angles. And I think the ch some of the challenges, like we've mentioned, that we see in radiotherapy, especially um, sort of upper, upper abdominal sort of tumours and, and places where just normal functions do move everything around, it's, it's good to see that potentially we can move from a one snapshot for the whole of treatment to a, a very personalised day-by-day treatment. So it's, it's really exciting. And then my last question for you both, I'll start with Andy, is where do you see sort of adaptive radiotherapy being in the next five to 10 years? I think the first thing will probably be seeing the early clinical data maturing. So these trials which are going on at the moment, seeing the data that's coming out of them, which hopefully should show that there's, there's an improvement in both in terms of the efficacy of the treatment, but also reduction in, in morbidity from from radiotherapy treatments so then once we've kind of got past that first stage then the second would be seeing the increased use of adaptive radiotherapy across the country and, it, and as you said earlier it becoming a standard of care for everyone as Helen said we're in the, the personalized care era so anything we can do to further enhance that I think is a good thing. Brilliant thank you and Helen so where would you like to see adaptive radiotherapy be in the next five to ten years or what would you like to see in radiotherapy in the future in general? I think one of the things I'd, I'd really like to see is the removal of, of fear about radiotherapy. You know, it just does sound such a daunting process when, when you first hear that that might be on the cards for you. And I think if the more patients 
feel confident that their radiotherapy program is, is really personalized for them. They feel confident that as little damage as possible is being done to surrounding tissue, etc. Then I would hope that they would be able to talk more openly about it um, with, with, with more confidence and just basically spread the message that you know, radiotherapy can be a really, really a useful tool in the, in your recovery program and you know, sort of shift the balance away from this rather frightened view that we all have of, of, of radiotherapy. Thank you so much, Helen. And thank you both so much for joining us on today's episode. I hope you both enjoyed it. Thanks. It's great to be here again. It was good fun. <laughs> thank you so much and take care.